0: So um, the story is about uh, modeling Pete Hopkins uh, with stem cells and brain organoids. Uh, This is uh, a recent work in the lab. Uh, Pete Hopkins is a neurodevelopmental disorder caused by a mutation in a gene called TCF4. Um, It's transcription factor Um, and it causes like a profound type of autism. So these are um, uh, situations where uh, those kids um, most often do not talk, have uh, seizures, epilepsy. Some some of them cannot even move. So really profound, severe types of autism. Uh, The prevalence is about one in 10,000. However, we do think that uh, there are several kids under the spectrum of autism that due to the lack of a genetic sequencing, they do not know that they are part of the PT Hopkins syndrome, uh, just because uh, the, the phenotypes are probably mild and masked um, on the terogeneity of uh, the autism spectrum. So, nonetheless, I mean, uh, this is a, a monogenetic uh, case, and um, it, it's perfect for um, uh, disease modeling with uh, brain organoids. And I'm so glad that Alex has introduced the brain organoid technology uh, just briefly. This was uh, this is not a new technology. Some people think that this is quite new. No, in fact, it was uh, developed by um, Yoshiki Sasai in 2008. Uh, so this is the first uh, description in, in, in a cell stem cell paper that uh, if you just neuralize the cells in suspension, they will self-organize and form what we call these uh, brain organoids. At the time they didn't even call them uh, brain organoids. They have like a different names. Um, but the organization of the tissue is remarkably similar um, to the human fetal brain. Um, So many people, uh, many labs, including ours, have uh, optimized and and derived different protocols to make these more robust, more reproducible, more reliable, and even fixing some of the pitfalls uh, that these organoids have. Uh, For example, you hear from Alex to create like mono... Um, uh, uh, c- c- single rosette organoid, which is uh, more biomimetic compared to um, multiple rosette organoids. So in, in, in we also developed like a very um, simple and, um, and robust protocol that uh, most of uh, people in my lab is using now. We start from pluripotent stem cells, we neuralize by kickstarting with the SMAD inhibitors. So that neuralized the cells and we, we put them in suspension. They will self-aggregate and form these, uh, these spheres that we can stimulate the propagation of the progenitor cells with addition of growth factors such as EGF and, and e, uh, FGF. And then we just remove the growth factors and we let the cells do what they do. So these are only transient exposure to these, uh, um, uh, to these uh, ectopic factors. And they, um, and we start from single cells, they end up with uh, about five million cells um, after a while. Um, a question that I often get is what kind of cells you have in, in these organoids. And as you can see, it's a very dynamic process. So the diversity of cells will actually change over time. So it really depends on what stage are you looking at? Um, And I'll give you like a a, a snapshot at four months old organoids. You can see that the vast majority of cells are glutamatergic excitatory neurons. We have the pool of progenitor cells that continue to produce these neurons. Um, uh, They are also starting to uh, produce uh, uh, glia cells, mostly astrocytes, and uh, we start to see uh, some of the markers for GABAergic neurons. Um, these are not functionally inhibitory neurons yet. They will become inhibitory neurons a little bit down the road um, when they are like six, seven um, months of age. But nonetheless, I mean that's um, that's how dynamically they change uh, the cell populations. And um, so we took this protocol and um, we uh, reprogrammed cells from a, a group of uh, Pitt Hopkins kids, about six kids and, and six controls. We used the controls, the no affected father. Of these kids, um, they're all males, and um, and then we look at these organoids, and um, so to our surprise, I mean uh, the phenotypes are quite visible, um, so they definitely mimic the macrocephalic brains of these kids. The production of the progenitor cells um, is is reduced, um, and the expression of uh, TCF4 in these cortical organoids is also uh, reduced by half which is consistent with the insufficiency. So one copy of the gene is mutated while uh, the other copy um, is, uh, is not. Um, so compared to their control parents, I mean, you can see half of the expression of the proteins. So that was um, interesting. We decided to see if that also happens with another type of organoid. So depending on the factors, you can manipulate the fate of these organoids. Um, so these are another type of organoids. We call them glia or, or GABAergic organ—sorry, GABAergic organoids because they're mostly composed by inhibitory neurons. Um, and as you can see, I mean, we also recapitulate uh, the proliferation deficit. So these organoids are tiny compared to the controls. Once we have a phenotype that is visible like that, we always ask: I mean, well, what is going on? Is the proliferation of the cells? Are the cells just dying? I mean, what's what's actually happening? So. Uh, one easy way to do that is just to slice the organoids, do some Mooney staining, and trying to see the major cell populations, how they behave. Um, and because these organoids also have uh, some preserved site cy- architecture, uh, we can actually see, for example, number of the rosettes as Alex pointed out. So they normally, um, as the parental uh, line here, have multiple rosettes and you can just counting them. Um, and you see like a a dramatic reduction in the number of uh, rosettes compared to uh, the, the mutant cell lines. Also, I mean, the population of uh, SOX2 positive cells, which is one of the proliferating cell types uh, in the early stages of uh, brain formation, um, it is uh, reduced. Uh, normally, you see a reduction between four and 10 months, uh, in 10 weeks, uh, which is uh, suggesting that the cells are differentiating to post-mitotic neurons. Um, but the, uh, the number that we start with in the mutant cells is much lower compared to control. So these are proliferating cells that are just not uh, not there anymore. Um, so, I mean, why they are not there? Um, so that's an interesting question. So turned into gene expression, just performing like global um, uh, DNA, um, uh, RNA expression and looking for potential pathways. Um, so long story short, I mean, there's uh, several pathways that seems to be affected. Um, one of them um, is really uh, uh, suggesting that um, the type of uh, cortical neurons that these sox 2 proliferating cells can make in the mutants are different than the controls. So these are markers for the uh, telencephalic uh, cortical diversity that we have, and we see like dramatic differences between the the mutant and the control. So we. We look into, um, into validating that with uh, um, immuno stainings. And um, this is like some markers of uh, different cortical layers, for example, CTP2 and SAPB2. I mean, you heard, you heard from Alex that these are uh, different cortical layers, and we quantified them. Um, and again, I mean, we see quite dramatic uh, uh, differences between the controls and the mutants at different stages of development. Um, so basically these uh, SOX2 uh, positive cells are not making this type of cortical neurons. So um, in theory, I mean, the, the patient's brains are missing uh, some of these uh, layers in the cortex and that might Uh, contribute to the the, the phenotypes that we have in those kids, including the cognitive um, decline and everything else associated um, uh, with their conditions in in, in autism. Um, Always when we get this type of uh, uh, phenotypes, uh, we look for some kind of in vivo validation, and I must say here that the mouse model for TCF4 doesn't show um, dramatic phenotypes. Kind of does not reproduce uh, the biology that we see in humans. And by the way, for autism and other neurodevelopmental disorders, um, this is quite common. I mean, most of the time, if you knock out uh, one copy of uh, the gene in a mouse model, you get like a mild phenotype, if any. Um, so for TCF4, it's not different. So the mouse just do normally and might not have like any like dramatic uh, behavior phenotype that is related to the patients. Um, So, what happened is um, one of uh, the patients in in our cohort actually passed away, and um, the family donated the brains um, to to our lab, so we could do the immunostainings and look for some of these uh, markers um, in uh, in the postmortem tissues, and we were able to validate that exactly this subtype of neurons are also decreased in postmortem brains, uh, similar as we anticipated um, uh, from um, the cortical organoid, so that that gives like a kind of a reassurance uh, or validation that the data that we have with the organoid is actually mimicking, um, even though we have a very reductionist um, model in, in, in culture here. All right, So I mean, showing phenotypes in, in, in a cellular model is very interesting. Um, but we I mean, I think especially in, in, in this environment here, we are very translational. We want to uh, not only find phenotypes, we want to do something about it, so we can uh, translate that uh, to the families. And uh, so we thought about that. Uh, TCF4, as I mentioned, um, uh, is mutated in one copy of the gene. The other one is highly functional. What if we can um, compensated the haploinsufficiency by um, overexpression of uh, the version of the gene that uh, is no mutant. You can do now uh, some, something like that uh, using CRISPRs. Um, we can use a CRISPR activator uh, that would bind to the promoter of the TCF4 and force the expression of the gene so we can compensate um, that. Um, And and, and that was um, um, very successful. So this is a transactivation approach. It was able to uh, restore uh, the level of um, TCF4 um, inside these organoids. Um, Another strategy that, um, uh, oh, and and these are just the probes that we use uh, in the promoter region. I mean, this is something that, uh, it's kind of empirically defined. You have to design different probes for your CRISPR to bind in these promoter regions to see which one will work. So it's not something that um, we can, really predicted and i forgot to mention that tcf4 has different isoforms and even those isoforms um, there is no uh, consistent agreement in the literature which ones are important so we kind of a, a design uh, different probes uh, for the Um, uh, the CRISPR to to attack or to express different isoforms here. And um, so once we we have that, we put the CRISPR-I on the lentivirus, and then we infect um, the organoids at very early stages and and we look for potential correction. To our surprise, I mean, we were able to correct uh, the expression of the TCF4. Um, as I mentioned, it's a, it's a transcription factor, so it regulates the expression of downstream genes. We were able to regulate these downstream genes as well. For example, these uh, gadad 45 or CDKN2A, um, all of that we could correct. Um, and um, we also see the re-expression, for example, of the SOX2 positive cells that I told you that was downregulated. But what I think was amazing is that, um, and I didn't highlight that, these organoids, the mutant organoids have some uh, uh, malformations as well. There's some clusters of neurons that kind of forms some kind of scars inside these organoids, we don't fully understand. We see something similar in the postmortem tissues. And if you correct the gene uh, early on, you can fix even the structural defect, which it, for me as a neuroscientist was something kind of surprised that during development, you can, you can fix the brain that was uh, um, uh, previously damaged. Um, but yeah, that's what the science is telling us that you can do that. All right, there's one, major problem with uh, the CRISPR activation here. It requires two lentivirus to infect the cells uh, to activate uh, the endogenous promoter so you can have the rescue. So that's not like an easy task and it's not yet translational. So the technologies still um, have to, um, to move forward. Um, but one thing that we thought, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, if we, if we show that we can overexpress um, TCF4 and, and have those rescues, why not? just clone the cDNA inside an AAV, which is translational because we already have uh, several uh, clinical trials with AAV, and propose a straightforward uh, gene therapy approach that will require a single vector uh, to do the trick. Um, so. Gene therapy, especially for neurodevelopmental disorders where the dose of those genes are quite important, um, faces uh, this problem of overexpression. So, if you overexpress some of these neurodevelopmental genes, you might cause um, a very similar disease than the haploid sufficiency. So, the tight regulation of the gene is quite important here. Um, And and, and this is, for example, a problem. Uh, take another syndrome, RAT syndrome. If you overexpress the MCP2 gene, um, you can create the MCP2 duplication syndrome, uh, which is as bad as uh, RAT syndrome. So we don't wanna do that. And, uh, and, and manipulating these AAV vectors uh, to have the right dosage is a challenge. Um, so, our approach here was take advantage of some of the binding of the TCF4 um, in the DNA, and uh, TCF4 binds to these uh, uh, micro E5 uh, motifs here um, to regulate uh, the expression of uh, the upstream genes. Um, so, um, we didn't know if that w- would work or not, um, so we cloned different sizes of these uh, micro E5 boxes uh, upstream to a minimal promoter that would fit inside an AAV vector and um, turns out that this uh, expression uh, we can regulate really nicely the amount of TCF4. So we, we end up choosing like the right amount of uh, e uh, micro E5 boxes to have the right amount of expressions that we see in a Y in a type or in a parental control. So we use that to uh, construct our, um, AAV uh, vector approach, and and then I mean we 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 build the organoids, and um, at certain point we infected with the AAV. Um, and the AAV was um, um, very useful to transfect the cDNA back, and we see the re-expression of uh, TCF4 to the levels that we were uh, expecting. And uh, similar to the transactivation, we see the restoration of the SOX, uh, SOX2-positive cells, restoration of uh, the morphology of the rosettes and the organoids, and um, more importantly, we start to see uh, back again um, the ctip 2 positive cells um, that were missing in the first place. These are uh, more mature organoids. And these CTP2 positive cells I mean, are important in the cortical connection. So it's, it's part of uh, the networks that really wire the brain at very early stages in development. And one way to measure the connectivity of those neurons is really to place the organoids on top of a multi-electrode array so it can record the activity um, of these uh, uh, cortical neurons over time. So this is what we have here. And um, uh, these are uh, days of the organoids on top of the micro. Microelectrode array and different readouts that we can capture um, from the electrical activity of those neurons, such as um, a number of um, a mean firing rates or a number of network bursts. Uh, and I hope you can appreciate that that compared to controls uh, in blue, you have the mutant uh, networks that are um, uh, kind of reduced uh, at different time points. But upon the uh, treatment with the AAV, we can rescue that. Um, so that was a. Um, uh, a very interesting uh, way to show that not only you can rescue the expression, you can rescue the cellular defect, um, but you can go to the physiology of the neurons or physiology of the networks. Um, so That was a um, very interesting um, approach uh, for TCF4. Um, we are glad that um, as soon as we presented these uh, data, MAZI Ultragenics licensed the program. They're taking this uh, to a clinical trial, so they're testing now in primates. Um, and we hope that um, in a year or so, this uh, um, would be like a uh, 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 would be recruiting for, for the clinical trial. So um, this is a like very short story here. Uh, Loss of TCF4 really impair um, It's the wind signaling that controls uh, this uh, population of Sox2 positive cells. Uh, the decreased proliferation. Changes the composition of the cortical network, especially on these CTP2-positive neurons. That we also validate that um, in the postmortem uh, tissues. And rescue TCF4 expression both with uh, CRISPR activation as well as uh, straightforward gene therapy with an AAV. Um, as long as you control the the right expression of the TCF4, you can have like a full rescue with no. Uh, side effect or, 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 or predicted side effect. We don't see any toxicity um, uh, from these vectors. So we're quite excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, the project was uh, really uh, led by uh, Fabio Papis, who was a visiting scholar here in my lab. And uh, together with uh, several members of uh, my lab, he really uh, pushed this um, um, uh, to happen. Uh, Fabio do have uh, someone in the family that's affected by Pete Hopkins. So his motivation is, is way beyond uh, the, uh, the, the academic settings. He really wants to see this uh, being in, 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 in clinics. Um, I'll stop here and maybe we can resume with the panel. Thank you very much.